We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hello baseball fans, wherever you are, and a warm welcome to episode 6 of the Highland Bullpen, your baseball podcast. Now it's been a dramatic week in the sport, and Bases Loaded features myself and fellow bullpen bros, Alan, Dave Jr and Dave Sr, run the rule over Trade Day, which saw a number of high profile acquisitions as baseball's hopefuls try to get into the best position ahead of the critical stages of this unique 2020 MLB season. We also paid tribute to Tom Seaver, as the sport of baseball mourns one of the true legends. The New York Mets icon passed away at the age of 75, and we look back on his extraordinary contribution and career. During the seventh inning stretch, we've got a special edition of the quiz for you, which features on the MLB London series of 2019 and our various misadventures. So don't miss that. But we begin this episode with bases loaded, where the bullpen bros take a look at trade day. Who were the winners? Who were the losers? And how did it end up for our respective teams? So as we record, we're just hours after the end of trade day. Now, I don't think any of our teams were among the major movers in trade day, but I think there there were some trades involving uh, our favourites. Alan, were the Tigers up to much? Fairly quiet. Um, Certainly, I think the first thing is... uh, Big thanks to Major League Baseball for holding trade day on my birthday. So greatly appreciated. I could yeah, sit back. And, again, Alan. Uh, roughly, roughly, yeah, yeah. So the Tigers. It, it was interesting. One of the things I read was that the American League had significantly less <laughs> trades taking place than the National League. I mentioned that in the context of the Tigers, because the reason given for that is that the, the view is that the American League playoff places are are pretty much signed and sealed. Although the Tigers, having won their last five games to get back to 500, uh, actually could still cause a wee bit of an upset and and, and squeeze in there. What the Tigers did do, they traded Cameron Mabin away to the Chicago Cubs. Not followed closely enough, but my understanding is Mabin has been traded back and forth uh, from the Tigers uh, previously. I'm guessing on a professional level, the fact that he gets traded to go to a team like the Cubs, who will be in the playoffs, is probably not not a bad thing for him. Disappointing for me to see a Cameron leave the Tigers. But he didn't do walking away, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not walking away. Cameron obviously is, but that's it's the wrong one. So I'm still hopeful. One of the one of the prospects, Daz Cameron. I think he's in the 60 man. Squad. I don't know that he's going to get called up. I think he's the prospect that the fans are talking about calling up next. So they got a minor league infielder. I think I can't remember the chap's name from the Cubs for that trade. Uh, Al Avila, the GM, 
at the the Tigers. Um, I think his theory was we've got a chance off the playoffs if something decent crops up, we might go for it. But I think the thinking was, well, actually, if we're doing okay, hold on to the players we have and let's let's see if we can we can battle through there. So as you say, Alan, it looks like most of the substantial movers have been teams that, that are confident or at least hopeful of getting that playoff spot and potentially eyeing the World Series. I suppose football's not, not a lot different, but it, it's almost like um, some teams are going to be delighted if they get to the playoffs. So if we get to the playoffs, let, let's hang on to what we've got. Let's not spend trade players away or let's not panic to take players in. If, if we can get in as the fifth team out of eight, then brilliant. Let's let's make sure we do that. the The interesting thing is the big guys. If you want to win the World Series, most teams probably have to trade significantly, which obviously involves bartering away your players or potentially using money. I think the Padres seem to have been the team who had most impact in the marketplace. They picked up Clevenger, is it, uh, from the Indians? Um, yep. So obviously a major yep. trade on the pitching front. But I think they also had a significant number of other activity. But <laughs> the thing that I find quite funny, there does seem to be a bit of an ethos that people think we're, we're going to trade players away or we're going to take prospects in because we're going to look to see what we can do in three or four years' time. There doesn't seem to be too many teams other than the Padres thinking, let's make a big trade just now because this year we, we've got a chance to go for it. Could that potentially be, Alan, because the Padres, they really do seem like they've got a real shot at it this year and that they've maybe been building towards this for a number of years. They actually took some of my Mariners right. as well. There's quite a big seven-player deal. I saw Austin Nola, Austin Adams and Dan Altavia going to San Diego. We'll get Taylor Trammell, who I believe is quite a, a good outfield prospect, got yeah. our catcher in as well. But it seems like the Padres really do seem to be going all in in terms of strengthening what was already an impressive an impressive lineup. Yeah, yes, and as a as a novice and as somebody getting to enjoy and love the game, I, I that's what I want to see. I want to see a team te- teams go all in. H- having said that, one of the other unique features here of trade, Dave, when, when we when we look at Scottish football teams buying players, they're potentially buying players from a worldwide pool of different leagues. So we pull somebody out of France, we pull somebody out of the US, we pull somebody out of the Highland League. And there might be the odd exciting player then coming in there, which makes a significant difference. In Major League Baseball, you can only trade with your rivals. It's a crucial difference, that, isn't it? And and Dave Jr., did the White Sox make any major moves in trade day? No, nothing. Nothing at all. I think it's interesting the, the points that you guys make about how different teams have approached it from what I've I've read over the last few months, the White Sox really, you know, they've been planning towards this season, if not actually next next season. So a lot of that youth that's came through and has performed exceptionally well this season, it was complemented by some real good trades back in January, February time. So I think that was when our major moves took place. I don't want to, again, linking it back to football, I'm almost thinking about that. The winter as being the summer transfer deadline day for football clubs and then tinkering would perhaps take place at this point. Um, so I think that everything, uh, I think it's when a great few weeks for the White Sox, uh, really, really solid few weeks, uh, really exciting matches, the, the team's performing really well. We are still down one or two pitchers um, and again, that's where the thought process had been if we did dabble, if we did trade something, 
Um, it might come in that area, but apparently the guys that we're lacking just now are due to come back soon, which will top us right back up for that that run. So again, at present, we look really good. We're sitting top of the division. Um, so again, if we don't make the playoffs, it would be a really, really big surprise, but we, we feel pretty good about what we've got just now. And uh, Dave Senior, the Red Sox, obviously you've identified right from the start of this season that, that pitching could be their Achilles heel. They actually made a few moves in the pitching front. Dave, they, they traded pitchers Brandon Workman and Heath Henry to the Phillies, and in return they got uh, right-handed pitchers Nick Pavetta and Connor Siebold. I just saw that they gotten rid of um, one of their outfielders who's actually been batting quite well, Kevin Peeler. And one of their relief pitchers has gone to the Cubs, a lefty, Josh Ozish. And they they weren't really getting anything back in the, in the trade other than this. <laughs> I was going to make a bad joke. It looked like the same player was coming. And he's got five initials, PTBNL, which is uh, unreliable informed player to be named later for cash. So I only saw those two things when I had a look there this morning. And I thought, well, what are they up to? But if they've got a couple of pictures from elsewhere, it sounds exactly what they're, what they're really needing. What I was interested to see as well, Dave Senior, is that one of them at least is a reliever normally, but actually the Red Sox have identified that he could be someone to go into the starting rotation. Yeah, it's, it's not unheard of, is it, for them to, to, to move them about? Although, uh, you know, I would have thought they need a a uh, nailed on certainty don't they but yeah in a, a deadline trade you're not necessarily going to get a, a real sort of winner in the trade for, for nothing unless you're prepared to to give up something and uh, they've already given up <laughs> a couple of, you know some of some of their best players already it's interesting Dave that you just mentioned there about you use that term giving up something that I've gone into this this whole situation pretty blind we're talking about football, and I'm sure there's very many different levels to this, but it seems in baseball there's so much more on the line than just cash for players or players for players. You've got, it seems to be these international cash pots or trade day picks in the future. There seems to be a, a whole lot more that you can trade, you know, literally using the word trade. You, you've got so much more there to work with than just, I want this player, how much does he cost? There seems to be a lot more variety uh, in the deals. Quite complex, isn't it? You know, I was sort of um, looking into this player to be named later business and, uh, you know, that's very that's very odd. It, it could be that they just really wanted to trade their two players away. They maybe didn't like the way their contracts was going. I think that's probably what happened with the Mookie Betts thing, wasn't it? They didn't really want to go into an auction and, you know, offering the kind of money that the Dodgers were prepared to offer. And been reading a little bit about it recently. And uh, I think this is, they're, they're kind of restructuring, aren't they, the way they operate, as far as I can see, the, the Red Sox. And, you know, they've got a lot of players who maybe going to become free agents soon. And maybe that's why they're wanting to trade them away while they've got a bit of value. And, they're looking at prospects and, you know, maybe if they don't get this player to be named later thing and they've got to make a deal in six months, haven't they? And if they don't agree on a player, then they get a cash equivalent or something. I suppose as well, there's an element of 
some teams are like sticking or twisting, so they're maybe taking a risk to get the ready-made guys in just now, but they're giving away future prospects or you know guys who've been who've who've been identified as ones for the future. They're maybe giving them up just in the opportunity to get somebody in for today. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a balancing act, isn't it? You know, there's the thing is baseball. There's the more players in baseball, the draft certainly seems to be a lot bigger than other sports, isn't it? You know, that the I suppose that's the big they're they're players that don't come into the roster straight away. They go into the sort of farm system, not the minor leagues, and then they become prospects for for later. Is it is it these sort of trade deals where they actually get veteran players to come in and, and do a job for them? Or you know, if they don't need veteran players and they're looking for prospects two or three years down the line, then they'll unload one of their current players if they've got a, a glut in that position. And, you know, it's, a, it's a, an interesting sort of tactic, but I'm not sure it's working for the Red Sox at the moment. Was the Red Sox are one of these teams that are expected to contend virtually every year, Dave, whereas other teams can less kind of less storied franchises are yeah. allowed to build in cycles their fans mm. accept the fact that they might spend five years putting together clever kind of trades to, to hopefully have that one good season yeah I think it, the, the salary um, it all comes down to money really doesn't it and the Red Sox usually have got quite a high payroll haven't they compared with you know teams like um, perhaps the, the Brewers, even I don't know what their situation at the Mariners is, but, you know, there'd be vast differences between their resources and someone like the Red Sox. And whilst they've, you know, they've done well in the last 20 years, you know, will the fans uh, accept a two or three year, two, two or three seasons without even, you know, being a contender for pennants and World Series? So I'm not sure about that. Well, there's, a, there's a football comparison there, isn't there? An obvious one for those of us from the kind of Glasgow and Scottish background in terms of Celtic and Rangers, where any season we don't win historically is regarded as as a failure, and there's no, there's never any excuse, there's never any time for for rebuilding. That's maybe changed in in recent years due to Rangers' extraordinary position, but historically it's always been the case that there's no patience for. For rebuilding, Alan, has that been your experience too? Yeah, the money thing I think is really interesting. There's, baseball, I think, stands out in American sports as having a bigger spread of total salary per team compared to other sports. I think if you saw a, if you saw a chart of what the, the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Dodgers pay um, compared to the lower end of teams, that, that I think is significantly different to what, what you see in the NFL. It, it, it's interesting... The, the Rangers-Celtic comparison is quite interesting because you've got the situation that these teams will generally be the guys with money who will come in and buy the big players. But when you look at the Major League Baseball trades, I'm assuming cash is involved. And I think a lot of them say there's cash considerations there. But nobody actually talks about how much they paid for a certain player. It's more about uh, we took six players or six prospects, or as, as Dave was saying, we, we've got a, a future trade pick in here as well. 
Cameron and Mabin, the guy who left the Tigers, he was in the last year of his contract. So that's not dissimilar to football where you, you will punt a player before he becomes a free agent. Because I was going to ask Dave Jr. when he was talking about the January thing there, and he, he might have other points he wants to make there as well. But presumably the winter is when they then go and trade for all the free agents and they, they then move about and sign for the biggest amount of cash that they can get themselves. I, I think so. Just something, again, I know we always like to bring things back to to football. You know, British football, Scottish football in particular. Sometimes you do wonder if there's if you're afforded that luxury within Major League Baseball to to reconstruct. I know Richard said over that four or five year cycle that so many teams, including the White Sox, have, uh, have took the opportunity to do. You wonder if teams are afforded that luxury because no relegation. There's no worries about you know, where you might be next year, what your budget might be reduced to or increased to. Um, perhaps Scottish football and, and football in general. I, I've always wondered how that would work if you were to have a bit more structure around our leagues, if that might take a little bit of stresses and pressures and financial burdens away, or does it make it less exciting? Yeah, you've probably, in the Scottish Premiership of 12 teams, you've probably got at least half of them. Their objective for the season is not to be relegated. I mean, you've got just now, I think there's been quite a big talking point in Scottish football. Uh, I, I think you've got a good resurgence of Hibs just now. You've got a, a pretty decently strong Aberdeen team. If you include Rangers and Celtic, I think you've got eight teams just now that are going to put 10 men behind the ball. And it's been it's been a real talking point in Scottish football about breaking teams down. Games haven't really been watchable. But on the other hand, you've got these eight teams, like you said, that are really struggling for their survival. So again, it's just it's interesting what your strategy, what your long-term ambition would be if you if you had a major league structure. I think it's interesting as well that the argument in favour of, of relegation and against even a bigger top division in football is there'd be too many meaningless games so fans wouldn't attend, there'd be no excitement. But obviously, as you say, without any relegation, there are effectively in a normal baseball season dozens of air quotes, meaningless games as well, but it doesn't seem to stop fans attending and enjoying watching that. I've seen average stats for the teams, but you've also got a situation that it's the social experience, so people are going for the social experience, but then there's that many games. You can pretty much go to a game. If you turn up in a city, you're not going to struggle to get a ticket to go to a game. I guess if you want to go and see the Yankees against the Red Sox, it's potentially different. But that, that's quite different. We, we've touched on it before about making the Scottish football a more attractive product. And, and I've been to plenty of premiership games where crowds have been under 3,000 people. And, and it just doesn't look great even in, in 12, 20,000 stadiums, capacity stadiums. The, the, the product is, is something to consider there. And that maybe comes back to, and I've started to see this a bit more, the the fear of relegation, the fear of losing the 10 men behind the ball, Let, let's try and get a draw against the best team. It's a different sport from baseball, but I mentioned the Cubs there. The, the Tigers beat the Cubs in a series just a couple of weeks ago. Now, that's not going to happen, I guess, with Ross County against Rangers or Celtic over a three-game series. They, they might in a one-off, but it's probably going to be 10 men behind the ball and, and beat them with a breakaway. One point I was going to make there was I love the complexity of the baseball trade system. We've kind of touched upon that, like the, the trades of players, you know, that kind of 
cash considerations, multiplayer trades. And I don't know if you guys are fans of the board game Monopoly. A wee boy loves playing Monopoly and he, he cheats even more effectively than I do. But what I love about it is the trading that takes place there because it's all about here's some money and here's the electric company and here's here's Piccadilly or Leicester Square. Yeah. And the value of all the pieces depends upon what you have already. So something that's not that somebody else, another player, wouldn't pay much for, you might need it to complete the set to yeah. give you all the things you need. Good luck, like lessons. I like the comparisons there with baseball and the, the complexity of it. And I wonder if you think the Padres potentially might have got themselves Mayfair and Park Lane now and have built big hotels on them, given their impressive acquisitions. Yeah, I think that's a good, good point. Did, did I read as well they've not been in the playoffs since 2006? That's right, Alan. Yep, 14 uh, years. It's a long time then to suddenly propel yourself into that position. It, it must then be exciting. Yeah, I- I would quite like to see them do well. I think it was uh, something Justin mentioned last week, wasn't it? Tony Gwynn is uh, one of their great all-time players. I think they might have got to a World Series when he was there, 80s and 90s. But um, I think I think the Padres might be one of the clubs who've uh, never actually won a World Series, and you know, the, you know, pretty sort of major major clubs. So maybe. I mean, they're not they're not in the playoffs yet, are they? They're sort of three or four games back, so they're probably seeing this trade as a as a way of um, getting them into the playoffs and giving them a, a chance. And yep. uh, why not? So, following trade day, who's our pick for the World Series then? Yeah, I think it would have um, go. I can't see past the the Dodgers. I just uh, you know, and you were talking about. The analogy with uh, Monopoly, I was going to say, I think the Red Sox had Mayfair and, you know, traded into to the, the Dodgers and, you know, they're sitting on some frightening talent. And have they got the best record just now? Is it sort of something like 700? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they look the, the form horse to use another sporting analogy at the moment. but And I suppose it's a shorter race than usual. But... Who Dave Junior could potentially stop them in their tracks? Who could? Who do you see being a contender? To me, it looks like when you're looking through a lot of the stronger teams. To me, the American League looks a bit stronger, and I think there's a whole host of teams that could potentially knock each other out in that last sixteen or you know the eight teams that make it through from the American League. It seems to be a bit a bit stronger just now. So I think that I could be wrong, but I think I'd pick the Dodgers at the start of the, the season. And I'm not saying they'll have an easy way through to the World Series, but they may just have that easier path in order to rest some of those pitchers and, and go into the World Series strong. But on the other hand, you've got three game series during the playoffs where you've come in eighth, if you're coming in as wild card, if you've got two good pitchers, you stand a fantastic chance of knocking anybody out. But I, I think if you're looking away from the Dodgers, you're probably looking over towards the American League and thinking, right, Minnesota, if they get their... They've not been playing too great recently. They had a, a loss last night against the White Sox, but I think they're, they're a pretty strong outfit. Oakland are having a really a pretty strong season. I, I, would, I would say the Yankees, but I think they've just dropped off a few injuries in the last week or, or 10 days. But Tampa Bay, they're making a real run at it. I think it's going to be... Uh, I'm not sure at first if I thought the playoffs would be diluted with 16 teams in there, but I think you're going to be left with the cream of the crop, some real potentially interesting matchups. 
whenever, every night when I'm watching the White Sox just now, it throws up based on the last 24 hours who our opposition would be in the playoffs. And every time I look at it, it seems to be pretty worrying. You know, you're going to come across some giant or some juggernaut that's on a great run just now. But if you look across at the National League, I think it, it just looks perhaps a slightly weaker, I'm never sure if it's a division or a league, but it just looks to be a, a kind of weaker, weaker set of teams. That's a pretty good uh, analysis, Dave. You know, I, I, I wouldn't have really guessed at that, but just having a quick look at the standings as we're talking, there's not many teams over 500 in the National League, is there? There's the, the, the top team in each division, and then there's really only the, the Padres. So, uh, yeah, as opposed to that in the American League, um, you know, you've got two or three in each in each division. So, yeah, but only one of them can get there, can't they? And um, the playoffs will be very, very interesting. If you look at Detroit, um, again, Alan's probably got better views than I do, but Detroit, that's a pretty good season so far. You're sitting in fourth. Certainly not out of it, are they? Four, four and a half games back. You're coming up against, especially if, you, if you're Detroit, you're looking at three teams ahead of you who are all having pretty good years, um, but you're still coming out just now at 500. Um, I think for a team that weren't really heralded to have a, a great season in any way, I think there's a whole lot of interest there. And even, dare I say it, um, I watched the, the three-game series that the White Sox just had with Kansas City Royals. Kansas City, they're a good team. I'm pretty sure they, they just took, it was one of the teams from the National League Central. They took them to the cleaners over a few games. But again, something that, that seems to have come out is that Kansas City have lost an extraordinary amount of games by one run. They've really been quite unfortunate at times. And Kansas, I think, are 400 for the season. But they're still they're a strong, powerful team. Dave Jr., your White Sox are, in the last 10 games are 8-2. and two. Nobody's got a better record at the moment than the White Sox over the last 10 games, just as good as the Dodgers. You're coming into form at the right time. This is a really short short season. So, I mean, it may be beyond your wildest dreams, but at what point can you start to dream about World Series contenders? I think it's it's, it's not just eight from uh, the last 10. I think it's 11 from the last 13. Um, it's... There's strength in there. Um, I know that some of those were against somebody's team uh, that's on this. Um, they must have been sick of the sight of White Sox recently. But there's there's such a powerful lineup in the White Sox just now. There's there's runs, there's home runs throughout that entire lineup. We've had some injuries, but it's it's really it's a powerful powerful lineup. I've been enjoying the last week or so has been fantastic. I think since we all last caught up. Giolito, Lucas Giolito threw a no-hitter, great. The other night, just sat and watched a walk-off home run. It's been fireworks the last few weeks. The White Sox might just be one of the teams to watch just now. There's, it really, I've been enjoying every single game, and there's no doubt that when we get to the playoffs, teams won't want to fan, uh, face the White Sox at all. Not, not one bit. On your day, in a, in a series, in a short series, you could be anybody, it sounds like. I think it's beyond that. Um, we seem to have some good, not great, but some really good uh, start rotation in the pitchers. Uh, again, there's a guy that they're talking about, Arn uh, Bummer, who was really coming into contention last year and they're waiting for him to come back in. But the guys that have been deputised have been doing really well. The bullpen's been been playing up, performing 
real heroics at the end of some games. But the power, nobody's going to want to face that sort of power. Uh, we've had franchise records in the last, I think for August, was a franchise record with maybe north of, it was north of 50 home runs in that period. Some real, real strong power. And again, it's great just watching every at-bat. I think last year you perhaps had a, a real a real weak or a weaker lineup, maybe one or two guys with all the weight on their shoulders. And something that the commentators have been talking about in the last few weeks is if you've got that pressure on your shoulders suddenly taken off you, if you know that you don't need to, to be batting runs in every game, the guy behind you, the guy in front of you, they're doing the business as well. And it, it really takes your foot off the brake. So trade day 2020 then, some interesting moves ahead of the conclusion of this shorter season. So to keep up to date with the Highland Bullpen, make sure you follow us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all of the other top podcast networks. Now, in an era when the word legend gets thrown about in every sport, when it seems like it only takes a Twitterati to decide that, yes, you're an all-time great, it's easy to lose sight of what a true legend looks like. New York Mets pitcher Tom Seaver, hero of the Miracle Mets, who recently died at the age of 75, is a hero in the true sense of the word. Alan, obviously the New York Mets and the city of New York is in mourning for one of its uh, greatest heroes, one of the great teams and one of the great stories of baseball. And obviously Tom Seaver was at the very heart of that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'd actually read a little bit about the Miracle Mets um, a few weeks ago. I know a lot of baseball fans will know an awful lot more about it, but when we were setting this podcast up we, we obviously got our social media channels and I shared what we were doing on Facebook uh, uh, one, one of my friends in the village uh, she's actually from New York um, he, she quickly replied and pointed out that she was born in the month of the Miracle Mets um, uh, which was a uh, uh, good, good effort to mention that what, what intrigued me about it was that she uh, I knew she was a Yankees fan uh, so why would you mention the, the, the medical Mets? And I know you might want to talk about the, the Lisbon Lions, Richard, but I don't think I'll be joining in too many conversations on that. So, so I read a wee bit about it, and it it, it highlighted um, some of the beauties of the, the sport of baseball, how people could buy into a, a story like this. I, I guess some of the differences there is that the Mets – would have been less than 10 years old, I think, when they won that World Series. But the, the reason it was a miracle, they had never had a winning se- season. Uh, and I think um, they had only, the year before, um, they were about 15, 20 games behind in terms of l- losing, but that was their best season yet. Uh, and potentially the first season that they'd moved off the bottom of the National League, I think they were in. Uh, and in fact, the season of the Miracle Mets was also the first year of the di- divisional, um, or, or there was a re- regional divisional leagues there as well. So um, that obviously uh, is another historic a- aspect about about that. So um, yeah, yeah, a, a name and a team that transcends across the whole 
Absolutely, Alan. That that in football as well, there are certain teams who who I guess are the equivalent of the the Miracle Mets in Scotland, our national football team, uh, in the nineteen twenties and in the nineteen sixties. Famously, when England were world champions, defeated England in kind of awesome circumstances. From our point of view, the Celtic team that won the European Cup in 1967 not only became the first British team to win that tournament, but they became lauded throughout Europe because they broke the Catenaccio system, the supposedly unbeatable system of football employed by Inter Milan coach Helenio Herrera. And in more recent times, the Manchester United team that won the European Cup ending more than three decades' wait for that club, with Beckham, Scholes, Giggs, etc., or the Ajax team that pioneered total football. In football, as in baseball, certain teams stand out, not just in their city or their country, but right across the sport. And those Miracle Mets and Tom Seaver, their legend will live on for a long time, Alan. Yeah, yeah, and deservedly so. Um, it, it's a fantastic uh, achievement, Um I think they won the series against the Orioles 4-1, uh, 4-1 I think it was. Um, I, I was reading through a, a, a few of the, the stories of the, the series. I think Seaver, they, they lost the first game in which, which he pitched, um, uh, but I think his may also, he may have won the fourth game, I think, for the for the Mets. Um when my friend mentioned the name of the Miracle Mets, I thought, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. I need to go go away and, and read about it. Um, it. It becomes a generational thing. Ajax is a classic one for me. Um, I, I still live in this fantasy land of the Dutch playing total football and total attractive um, attacking football, which is one of the reasons that we tend to have the odd wee trip over there. They, they also have decent breweries that are worth, worth visiting it as well. Um, I, I love stories like that. It, there's a bit of an element of an under, well, hence why it's a miracle and amazing. It's that's actually quite a difficult one for us to come up with an analogy to in terms of being Scottish. Um, we, we've got two teams that win the league pretty much year in year out. Uh, the, the Aberdeen team of the the 80s, in fact, Dungeon United, the, the the Northeast Giants, Jim McLean and Alec Ferguson, certainly for my era. These are names that we'll, we'll remember well. And we could probably go through their teams fairly well. Neither of us support them, but we'll we'll know the players well enough. We'll know the names well enough. And they, they've got elements of legendary status, having done well in European football as well, those two teams as well. So um, they beat the odds uh, and, and succeeded in Scottish football. So the Miracle Mets and the influence of, of Tom Seaver there, I think universally hailed as the greatest Met ever. Uh, he had some top nicknames as well, Alan. Tom Terrific, the franchise. Uh, you know, you can tell those are those are proper nicknames. You need to be pretty good to bear the, the, the weight of Tom Terrific, I would suggest. But Tom Tom Seaver did that uh, with, with grace and with style over a long period of time. A 12-time All-Star, uh, the Mets all-time leader in wins. And when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, Alan, in 1992, he received what was at that time the highest percentage of votes wow. ever recorded. So in every way, a, a consensus legend. A Fresno native as well, Alan, a Californian guy whose career took him over to the other side of the other continent and to earn immortality with the Mets. Uh, a legend of, of the sport of baseball. And from all accounts, uh, 
he also, in his later years, having retired, was very much a, the class that he demonstrated throughout his career was just as evident throughout his post-baseball, his post-active career. Uh, and I think baseball will, it'll be a while before we see his like again. A fantastic story about how his signing, um, in that he had originally signed, I think, with a, a major league contract, but that was then deemed not a legal by Major League Baseball um, because this college team or his university team had played a couple of exhibition matches that ended up to the benefit of the Mets and obviously added legend to the story as well. And again, Alan, we're talking here now more than half a century after the Miracle Mets turned the form book in its heads to win that 1969 World Series. Yet see statistics, his career averages, the 300 wins plus the 3,000 plus strikeouts, keeping an ERA of under three, those are still as impressive today. Those still place them within only a handful of pitchers to achieve those kind of numbers as well. So other numbers, maybe they look a bit less impressive in the light of how the game is played today. But Tom Seaver's standards, the standards he set, remain just as high and just as impressive today. So everybody, all the bullpen bros, the Highland bullpen listeners, I'm sure are thinking of, of Tom Seaver's family and the, the New York Met fans who are mourning one of baseball's all-time greats. Okay, folks, to keep up to date with the Highland Bullpen, follow us on social media, the Highland Bullpen on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Twitter handle uh, for Highland Bullpen is at HBullpen, and the Instagram handle is Highland underscore Bullpen. Thank you. This week on the 7 Finning Stretch Quiz, Quizmaster Dave Senior has got a set of questions featuring the 2019 MLB London series. So let's see if myself or bullpen bros Alan and Dave Jr. can score as heavily as the Yankees and the Red Sox did. It's yourself, Rich, who's ahead with four runs. Dave has three, and early leader Al going to a mini slump, but I'm sure he'll bounce back. And uh, these questions this week are going to be about um, set on uh, MLB London 2019, which we were all present at. And I'm sure we remember all the details of that weekend. <laughs> so, uh, so, Alan, do you want to? Shall I hit you with a lead off question? Yep, I'm quite happy if I'm still, despite having a slump, if I'm still the, the lead-off hitter. <laughs> so, yeah, from uh, London, can you remember the name of the spandex-clad sprinter who races fans between innings and normally never loses, but we saw history being made? And... Uh, <laughs> He actually uh, lost this day. It was one of my favourite moments of the whole weekend. It was tremendous. Uh, wearing yellow, wasn't he? I think he was sort of, um, I seem to remember, was he a, like a light blue? A light blue. Skin, skin tight. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what he would say he looked like, uh, to be honest, on air. 
I, I can picture um, I can picture the scene. Um, I think he started off. He um, it was a little bit. He's a uh, on the Atlanta Braves. It's on their ground staff, and he was obviously pretty fast runner. And he just started doing this, and they made a feature of it at their games, and it's become a sort of a nationwide thing. It's probably I don't know where the name comes from because it's kind of almost the opposite of what he does. I don't know if the other guys uh, remember it. So I'm not I, the only thing. I, I'm not very good at my superheroes and all that. There's probably one of the other four of us is more into that, but the. Was Frodo in the in the Incredibles? Was he like uh, he he was dressed in a similar way? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I, I'm just showing my ignorance on all, all things. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna swing and a miss. I've been spotting up on your baseball all all week, and I hit you with a daft question like. Yeah. Anyone else like? Oh, the, only, the only thing I'd say was his turn of pace reminded me of Alan when he heals as a free bar. That was the only observation I had. It was. I think that was the fan who caught him on the line, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Was, well, it, uh, was it something along the lines of the freeze or the bullet or the, the flash? It was the, no, the freeze, wasn't it? I can't remember why he had that particular name, but he was dressed in sort of, um, he almost looked like a blue. Yeah. Do, do, do I get anything for getting the first couple of letters correct? There was obviously something in my subconscious. <laughs> there? <laughs> well, we, what I could do, because it was probably a bit of a bit of a trick question, I think we will put you on second base, you, and you've, you, but you're not getting a hit. You've, you, you've, you've reached second base, I don't know, on an error or... Or a field of choice, very, very and you'll, you'll get a chance to go for home. He literally guessed a hobbit, Dave Senior. <laughs> You're being very, very generous. <laughs> yes. I don't know about I don't know about draft picks. I think there's been some money exchanging hands in the quiz this week. Yeah. Well, I feel a bit guilty about that one. And the next two questions, do you, do you want to stay on base there just now? And I'll take the next two questions in in order, which is. Dave next, so it's a similar vein. You might remember on both days there was a mascot race. So on the Saturday, game one, I'll remind you of the runners. Uh, obviously, I need to know who won it, but I'll remind you of the runners. Uh, Sir Winston Churchill, including the cigar, <laughs> uh, Freddie Mercury, Henry VIII, King Henry VIII, and the Loch Ness Monster. Can you remember who won on day one? We are the champions. Correct, Dave. King, King Henry VIII. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, it was indeed Freddie Mercury. It was really? a lot of fun it was too. R Richard, were these guys drinking with us? <laughs> It actually did happen, we're not uh, hallucinating. Well, at least he was somewhat athletically shaped. I wouldn't have had Winston Churchill or Henry VIII down to win a sprint. He was probably best built for it, wasn't it, when you think about it? Well, the monsters probably got yeah, quite long strides. One bit, Nick. get going. 
just wondering if I'd said Bilbo would have got a point. The, the listeners can't hear it, but there is a picture of um, Frozone from The Incredibles. <laughs> and my subconscious was going to that, and that is um, how your man, was, the freeze, is dressed. Ah, so, well, you deserve to be on the same boat. Thank you. You still got it wrong. No, 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 I'm, I'm accepting that 100%. In fact, you get the official score is now giving you a hit for that. That was brilliant. Great answer. <laughs> so I'll leave you on your own setting base as well, Dave, and we'll bring in Rich again on this one. And, well, following up from that, who won the rematch on Sunday? <laughs> and it's the same contenders, game two, mascot race again. Did Freddie retain his title or was it King Henry VIII, Sir Winston Churchill or the Loch Ness Monster? I will guess, I can't remember, as I say, I think that was maybe a couple of double beers at that point, but I, I, I was going to guess that it was potentially Winston Churchill's finest hour. No, a similar shape, but instead of a cigar, it might have been a chicken leg. <laughs> uh, the, the, the man with the, the monarch with multiple marriages, I'm guessing. That's the man, yes. Ah, uh, struck out. Interesting foursome, that, wasn't it? that must be what the, the Americans think of us, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry, yeah. Uh, it's not bad actually not a bad effort I don't know who else uh, we would have hoped might have been in it good, good to see centuries of a British culture adequately represented there I mean yeah. Freddie Mercury and Loch Ness Monster have been two of the four boiled down to I'm fairly, uh, yeah. I'm fairly sure our friends Gordon and Linda who, had, who go and watch a bit of baseball they were at possibly minor league games in Tennessee, or or was it spring training a, a year or so ago? And I'm sure Elvis and Dolly Parton were racing. Oh, excellent! <laughs> I'm trying to work out how to say something on a PG-rated podcast about that. Yeah, uh, you could almost hear, hear the thoughts <laughs> going around in our head, and thought we didn't say anything. <laughs> which, uh, which which one was all shook up? <laughs> well, our, our listeners will um, no doubt tell us of other fantastic races they've seen around a, a Is it not true in a sprint photo finish, they measure who's won by, the, it's the, your chest that has got to, uh, that's why they thrust the chest out. Of the, I'm just saying, no yeah. comment on the people involved, I'm just pointing out a fact. The sporting fact, Dave, so well done. So, quickly, we'll go on to the next round and I think this is a sort of a, I don't know, a special episode of the quiz. And I think we're going to place everyone on a second base and you each get a question on the game itself to go for home. So we'll go for Alan, first of all. They're a bit tricky, these ones, but we'll, we'll see how you do with them. So this is a bit of a tough one. On the first day on our MLB London trip, how many drinks did the four of us have that weekend? In total. I'm joking. I'm joking. Of course. Oh, I knew that. <laughs> Nobody, I was looking at my scientific calculator. Nobody could possibly know the answer to that. We, we logged it in an app, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Untapped might be able to tell a few tales. So, how many runs were scored over the two games? 
Is this for anybody to answer? Just no, this is, no, this is for this is Alan's chance to uh, to go for home. This is for GR Tolkien at the moment, Skip. Yeah, I'm just. Uh, I mean, I haven't looked yes. at this for ages. I sort of came up with these questions a, a while ago, and I'm just sort of questioning my own. Uh, answer he is here. the Lord of the Rings, Richard. <laughs> Lord of the Rings in baseball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So if you think of the first game, was pretty amazing in terms of runs scored and the second game wasn't actually too far behind so I don't need the exact number but somewhere in the right ballpark should at 41 well it's a good it's a, it's a good effort it's it was even higher than that I think 50. Fifty. It was fifty. I think uh, I haven't written this down. But I think uh, obviously the Red Sox lost both games, didn't they? There was there was twelve runs scored. Six was it six each in the first inning? Yeah, yeah. And I feel in the first game was seventeen thirteen sort of rings a bell. So the next game, which was a a bit closer, and Red Sox had a, came back well, didn't they? Mm. If I remember rightly. But uh, nevertheless, lost. So, yeah, it's a tough one. You know, I'll, I'll accept not scoring there. Just, um, just a wee bit concerned when you're thinking, if you remember correctly, given you are the quiz master, that uh, we'll, we'll rely on your um, professionalism, Dave. Yeah, I'd just written down the total. I hadn't quite remembered uh, when I looked at it. I thought, was that the first game? Oh, no, no. And then I was trying to remember what yeah. the actual scores were, and I hadn't written those down. But I think it was. As I say, 17-13, and the other one must have been 20 runs scored. Dave, the next question is on similar lines. And uh, uh, game one, again, on the Saturday, um, the Yankees and the Red Sox game was only three minutes shorter than the longest nine-inning game in MLB history. Can you hazard a guess? as to how long the game was. And obviously, I'll give you some leeway. Right off the bat, I'm sure it was four hours something. I would be guessing to, to get the minutes. Um, so I'm going to say four hours, 23. Well, I think that's a pretty good effort. I, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to give you a, Dave, I'm going to give you a run there. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, four hours and 42 minutes. It was uh, almost a record. So, well done, Dave, lad. You're on the board. You're on. The next question is kind of uh, not quite about the London weekend, uh, Rich, but it's um, those two games are obviously played there were regular season games, uh, part of the part of the season. There were were they were they home games for the Red Sox? I think the class does. I think so, that may be right. Kind of check this um, answer's not going to be Ted Williams. No, 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 no. But um, they weren't the only games that were played out with the USA and Canada. I think um, the season's opening games between the Oakland Athletics and actually the Seattle Mariners 
were played on the 20th and the 21st of March. So, to get you home, can you tell me, and if, if, if you know the exact location, fair enough, but I might even, well, do you know where they were played? And it's out with the continental United States. Yeah, it's, that, it's not, it's, uh, not in um, the Americas. I'll go for Japan. Spot on. It was in Japan. It was in... I don't really know anything about it. It's probably worth looking at, actually, the sort mm. of Japan League. A lot of good players come from there. It's a pretty um, well-contested league. But it's in the, the Tokyo Dome, which no, it's, it's the home to the... Yomiuri Giants, and it's known as the Big Egg. <laughs> Not the Big oh, Apple, but the Big Egg. Hamish, our very own Highland bullpen mascot, is insisting that he could have shown any of those four mascots a clean pair of hooves any day of the week in a race around a baseball field. I'm not convinced, but there you go. And that brings an end to episode 6 of the Highland Bullpen. We hope you've enjoyed it. Don't miss next week's episode where we've got an exclusive sit-down interview with Baseball Scotland Hall of Famer Jason Dare. But until then, keep following, keep listening, and for all the bullpen bros and Hamish, we'll see you next time.